Hi, I'm Jesse. Let's continue in 2 Timothy. We're in chapter 2, beginning in verse 19. He opens up with the word, nevertheless. What he's referring to is some of the false teaching by Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have been telling everybody that the resurrection's already taken place. He's not that, he says, avoid all that empty talk. That's what Paul tells Timothy. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm. Okay, so like Hymenaeus and Alexander, his previous accomplice, and now Hymenaeus and Philetus, his new, his new sidekick. Guess what? God, they, they, they can't change God's solid foundation in the church. It stands firm, bearing this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his. God knows every true believer. He knows exactly who his people are. And let everyone who calls on the name of the Lord turn away from wickedness. Now in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also those of wood and clay, and some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. So if anyone purifies himself from anything dishonorable, he will be a special instrument, set apart, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. So forget the false teaching that's been spreading like gangrene. Despite all of that, God knows who his people really are. He knows exactly the ones who are his. And those who are really his, those who call upon the name of the Lord, they'll be saved and they'll repent from sin. This was Joel 2.32, it comes up in Acts 2, it's also in Romans 10.13, it's a truth, it's, it's true. The Lord knows everyone who is his and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, all right, here you can insert your understanding of verse, uh, uh, in verse 19 of Joel 2.32, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord is saved. Now, inextricably linked to salvation is repentance from sin. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord says in verse 19, will turn away from wickedness. This is why you can't claim to be a Christian who also still identifies by your sin. You can't be a Christian adulterer, a Christian murderer, where you just continue in adultery, you continue committing murder, you continue any kind of sin. Uh, we've talked about this before, it's this why there's no such thing as a gay Christian, for example, because if you're a Christian, you repent from sin. You turn away from wickedness. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will turn away from wickedness, and the Lord knows the ones who are his. There are all sorts of false teaching cropping up in the world of Ephesus and in the world today, but God knows the ones who are truly his. The ones who are his turn away from wickedness. When I sin, I confess it and I repent and I turn away. Same, same with you, if you're a true Christian, if you really belong to the Lord, when you mess up, you confess your sin, you turn away from that wickedness. And in this particular context, really, I think, really true to the text is when you see those false teachings, the empty talk, the speculations, the, the talk about how you've already missed the resurrection boat, just give up, Christians. Like, you, you have nothing to do with that wickedness. You avoid it, and you have nothing to do with it. Because you belong to the Lord, He knows that you're His. You call in the name of the Lord, so you turn away from that kind of wickedness. And He gives this, this metaphor, this parable, about vessels within a house. It's similar to what he said, it's <clears throat> similar to what he says in, in Romans chapter nine, but in this regard, you have the opportunity to become a, a dishonorable vessel who can be used honorably. In a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also those of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. In the original context, the connotation of the dishonorable, think garbage can, think your plumbing, think maybe toilet, not honorable. All right, it's not exactly the gold and silver. The gold and silver gets put on display. It has some honorable use, some, some, sort of, some sort of ceremonial significance, and it's cherished, and it's well taken care of. So if anyone purifies himself from anything dishonorable, 
he'll be a special instrument. So if, if you're a Christian and you're getting caught up in some of the wickedness, right, the sin of this age or false teachings, you, would you purify yourself from wickedness? The Lord knows those who are his and the ones who call upon the name of the Lord, they turn away from wickedness. So if you've got wickedness in your life, you've got sin, it's just sitting there. You've let it crop up. You've created space for it. You've covered your tracks. You've deleted your browser history and here it is. You've got this sin in your life. And, and now you're in conflict. You're not at peace. The Holy Spirit's conviction is there. You feel like a wretched man or woman because right there when you want to do the will of God, there's your sin nature too. What are you supposed to do with this? Well, you kick the wickedness out. You are meant for honorable use. Stop acting like a toilet when you're actually the golden trophy. Stop acting like the dishonorable vessel like you're made out of wood or clay, when you're actually made of silver and gold, would you purify yourself? Would you purify yourself from anything dishonorable so that you can be a special instrument, set apart, that means holy, Christian, set apart and useful to the master, prepared for every good work. This is gonna come up later in this same book. When we get to, when we get to uh, chapter three at the end, going into chapter four, it's gonna talk about all of scripture, how it's breathed out by God and it's useful for correcting and teaching and training in righteousness so that you, Christian, would be complete and equipped for every good work. It's not enough just to have a knowledge of all scripture or even hold scripture in high esteem. It's also that you have to purify yourself. You've got to purify yourself. You've got to kick the sin out. That may mean drastic sacrifice, but it's worthwhile. It may be costly to you, but man, is it worth it. Whatever it takes to purify your life of sin, you do it. It's worth, repentance is worth any cost. Purify your life, get the sin out. Downgrade to a dumb phone if that's what God calls you to do. Cut off a relationship if it's causing you to stumble. Cease a business practice if it's dishonest and it's leading to, uh, it's, it's leading to, it's leading to, to fraudulent gains. Whatever the case may be, whatever it is that you've got to do to purify your life, you just do it. Because man, there's nothing like having a clean conscience before God. There's nothing like it. Look, I know what it's like, man. I've been a pastor. I've got sin that crops up in my life. Oh, dude, it stinks. It really stinks. It really hurts. It hurts your ability to minister well. And you just feel like a fraud. You feel like you're leading a double life. And so the only solution is to confess that sin and to repent from it and to walk away. And on the other side of that confession, no matter what it costs you, is restoration and a clean conscience. You know who you are. Get your life back. It's a good thing. So no matter the cost, purify yourself, okay? Purify yourself. You've called upon the name of the Lord and the ones who call upon the name of the Lord turn away from wickedness, both the false teachings and the sin. So kick it out. Stop acting like a wooden, clay, dishonorable vessel. When God's called you apart, he's called you to be holy, a useful instrument in the master's hands and watch God use you. Man, that's incredible. You don't need to be ashamed. You can instead be equipped and prepared for every good work. We've got work to do. Ephesians 2 said the Lord has prepared these things for you ahead of time. So to be ready for those, kick the sin out of your life. Repent from sin, establish accountability, walk in repentance, and then be used mightily by God. And shine like the gold you actually are, Christian.